Hey guys, hi, Tadevosan here, and welcome to the Power of Mindset podcast, episode number three. Uh, with this episode, I wanted to further dive into extrapolating the thesis behind the book, The Power of Mindset. And we talk a little bit about what am I going to spend the first couple of episodes discussing. And I really wanted to spend time uh, specifically talking about the four pillars, right? And that's the, the concept when I talked about when I initially wrote the book, I actually wrote an incorrect thesis when I was talking about you have to figure out these four pillars in your life in order, which was completely wrong, by the way. I was saying that first, you got to take care of your financial tank, then your fitness, then the friendship, then the family. Well, that was my order. And as I started understanding the subject better, I did research, I lived with it. I you know, built the family, I built the business and I built my fitness and my circle. I realized the best order isn't the order I was sharing, which is why I went back and rewrote the whole book. I talked about you work on the biggest monkey on your back first. And of course, at the time when I was trying to get my finances in order and I was the brokest guy I knew coming from, you know, coming to America, being homeless and living on people's couches. Of course, I had this monkey on my back telling me that I'm broke. I got to figure out the money issue. Now, if you're somebody that's got your financial situation in a very stable matter, and but you've got issues with your health, right? There's a weight problem. There's a, you know, some kind of an issue with your fitness. Well, you need to take care of that, right? So manage the financial tank, but also take some time to be able to fix your fitness. Or let's say you are healthy, you know, financial takes taking care of itself, you have a startup or a good job, corporate self employed doesn't matter, but you're having issues in your marriage, right? So what are the steps you can take, right? And, and just because you, you know, this story I shared about committing to a marathon six months out doesn't mean that's what you should be doing. Maybe buy a 5k ticket. And I've gotten a ton of people who said, hike, I'd love to join you, but I don't want to do a marathon. I'm like, great. Why don't we buy a 10k ticket or a 5k ticket six months out? And you can maybe hire a coach or I can give you some basics on what to do to develop the habit that's going to get you there. In reality, a race day really is irrelevant compared to how it's going to teach you to be uncomfortable with the uncomfortable as in waking up earlier, getting some workout done sooner, listening to a good podcast before we get to the office. And there's many different ways, those additional pillars that you're trying to fix and correct and better are going to better the other ones, right? So it's not how you do this one thing is going to cost you to suffocate in the other one. No, it's how you do anything. It's how you do everything, right? So we did talk about how when I did commit to this marathon six months out, it really helped my business, right? It got my team on a different page. It got my business on a different page. It got my expectations and my ability to delay gratification and working towards a common goal and continuously doing sessions that were not showing me immediate results. But when you fast forward six months to a year, everything was different, right? Because we do truly overestimate what we could do in a day and we underestimate how much can get done in a year, as long as you stick to a plan. So with the fitness I talked about in the previous episode, how it helped me better the business, I do want to talk directly business on this one, right? The financial tank. So this was actually my first tank uh, that I really had insecurity about because I needed to get this fixed. And I did sacrifice everything. I didn't work out, didn't train, didn't spend much time with friends. I didn't have, uh, I wasn't married. I was single. All I did was work. So, and I think that's an important piece to maybe some of the younger people looking to start a business. So if you're listening to this podcast or watching this video on YouTube, I uh, want to cover some basics as, you know, as far as getting into a business, right? So and because and I've gotten a lot of the question, you know, like if I do get into a business, what's the right thing to do? Take over an existing or do a business from scratch? Now, even though I'm an insurance business, right? Uh, I'll talk a lot about specifics, you know, how I did the insurance business. But when you look at the actual concept of business, 
all businesses have a lot of common denominators, right? It's it's how do you put a product out there? It's either B2B or B2C, right? Business to business or business to consumer. In many ways, if I have a product, how can I do a good job of selling it so there can be revenue and income? And when there's the good problem of a lot of revenue income, you need to hire. And when you hire, now you run into hiring issues where now you have to have somebody to help you review resumes and interviews and a training process. And the more people you hire, the more hiring issues you run into. Often you make the mistake of hiring the wrong people, which is a great thing to do because you'll learn how to hire better and train better and retain talent better. And I'll talk a little bit more about that as well, because across all the platforms, it doesn't matter what type of business. I've got a lot of friends in auto sales business and tech business and insurance business and you know stockbrokers. A lot of the things come down to the same. Do you have a good product? Can you market it? Can you sell it? Can you have revenue? Can you hire to maintain the revenue and continuously grow the revenue and do things with it? Benefits, training, people, marketing, and all that good stuff. So, so first question I want to actually talk about is this is a, an important piece, right? So, and even not too long ago, I was talking to a friend of mine about whether it's the right thing to start a business from scratch or to buy a business. Now, there's a very important step to starting a business. And here's why I think. The most important piece that you would consider when you do start a business, and I did start mine from scratch. We had zero customers on day one, and there's prep work required when you start a business from scratch. So for me, um, you know, it's very, very common to know that you don't just start working when you start the business. So you have to have a start date, like grand opening date, right? You promote the date, and then you have people coming in. Hopefully, you can use that to prospect. But reality, your start date is the date you start doing business but you gather a lot of work way before, right? So for me, eight months before I started cold calling and specifically to the insurance business, I had to get a list of a lot of names that were interested to do business as in I was going to offer them our products and services. They were going to give me a payment. I was going to generate revenue. And with that revenue, I was looking to hire, develop a team, et cetera. And we'll talk about timeframe about that as well. Like what do you need to work on the first couple of years and then develop a team, uh, replicate yourself and completely replace yourself in a business. So. Um, I like that. I The question was, what would you do differently if you go back? Sometimes I get that. Um, and the thing is, I don't think I'll do anything differently because the way I look at the past, if I made a mistake, well, mistake is painful, but pain is a great teacher, right? You lose sleep over it, but it's okay. You learn, right? And starting scratch was a great, great lesson for me because you'll learn to build, right? You'll learn to do things from scratch. You learn that there's no instant gratification. You learn that some of those long nights and you got a million different complaints. Well, no one cares, right? No one cares. Work harder really, really is a good lesson there. So I don't know if there's a right answer because I have seen people go to do a business scratch and they failed because they weren't grinding it out. They weren't making enough calls. They weren't hiring the right people to make more calls, to make more appointments, to sell additional products. So and they didn't really develop a team around a good sales system because when you do a scratch business, you need to go in there with a really good sales system and a really good team that's willing to dial, right? So because if you can acquire business, then you can run into the problem of servicing the customers. Then you can start developing service team members because you can't do it all by yourself. So I have seen it where people go into a new business. There is a good product. They just don't make enough activity. And there's this formula I use a lot. Activity plus method minus excuses equals results. Because if you are in a business of selling, whether if it's stocks or I don't know, you can be selling energy drinks. If you don't get the product in front of enough people, if you don't have a good presentation, you're going to sorely lack the thing that you need to continue running the business, which is revenue, right? So if you have good activity plan as in today, I'm going to make 50 calls. 
And if with 50 calls, I have five quality conversations, I get to have three of them that really connect with me and one of them buys, right? And then I can eventually teach that to somebody else. Again, if you're going into this with a good sales mentality and you are not afraid of smiling and dialing and bringing some people with you, I think Scratch is amazing because you learn to build. And there's this always funny quote, I don't know if there's a lot of statistics on this, but most businesses, especially in the insurance business, the ones who start scratch from nothing, there's no customers they're taking over, there's no existing problems and expectations they're taking over, they're building their own customer base, they tend to outgrow the ones who go into a business where they purchase a business and try to add on top. So I have, again, I've seen people fail when they go scratch business, but they don't go into it with a good sales mentality. Now, I've also seen people fail where they do go buy a business because to buy a business, in my opinion, at a certain point, you've had to start a business to learn how to get a business off the ground. Once you got that figured out once, I don't believe you should acquire another business from scratch. It should be an acquisition, as in now I'm buying businesses, buying the second location, getting the third location. And now you're getting in with a set of problems because now you have a, a sales team that knows how to hunt. And you also learn how to build a service team that knows how to service the problems. Because the people that failed in my observation, when they do get into a business and then buy the problems, because now there's customers with expectations, certain one of them have been trained incorrectly, or I can't say training correctly. I can also say maybe they've been trained in a way that you don't agree of how you want to do business, but consumer is always right. The customer is always right. That's the way they want to do business. Sometimes you'll retrain them and they stay with you, or sometimes they will leave you, right? So acquiring a business can have this bitter taste in your mouth. Why are they leaving me? Why are they firing me? Well, maybe they don't agree with the way you run your business, right? So I've seen people get bitter with the customer standards of an existing business um, or also they don't really develop a good service side of the business. And also, again, going back to developing a good sales, you can't just go into acquiring a new business right away with sales mentality only. There has to be a service team on board as well because when you acquire, yes, there's revenue in there, but you just gave up money to buy, but there's existing revenue. Sounds like a safer bet but it comes with a set of issues right away. On day one, the phone's going to ring. There's going to be problems because most people call when there's an issue, right? So that is the piece, right? So I believe if you can build once and keep acquiring later, but when you build once, you build the team and all that good stuff, then you can keep on acquiring. So my formula has always been your first one needs to be from scratch. If you got the experience of building, go buy. Why would you do scratch again? The only lesson in a, a, advantage of a scratch business versus buying a business is you'll learn to build. Once you learn to build, acquiring becomes simple and easy and you, you're comfortable with the pain. Um, again, the, the prep work of, of when I got into it, and I shared this in the in in previous episodes where you know for eight months, my formula was to dial 150 numbers per day, six days a week. And that formula get, got me 10 people to say, uh, I'm interested. Now, there's a little psychology about that. By the way, these calls still work. You can still buy leads um, again, it doesn't matter what kind of business you're launching. You can buy leads of that industry and dial to get people interested in the community, right? Location matters too, right? So I remember uh, when I was opening up my first location in Bellevue, Washington, I you know bought lists. I called the, there's a labor and industries website where you can call all the business owners in the area. You can get on Google and type in what kind of businesses are in the area, call, introduce yourself. And I just got a really good line and I would just call, introduce myself. My name is Haik Tadevosian. I'm looking to open up a business in September. 
um, you know, in your area. I didn't have a location at the time, so I just named a popular street, right? Something familiar in the territory. I said Northeast Satan Bellevue Way, which is the most inter uh, popular intersection in Bellevue. Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking to start my insurance agency. Um, if I can give you guys a free estimate, can I see if I can save you guys some money? You know, I'm looking to serve the community and do a good job. And this is going to be something I'll be doing for a long time, right? A lot of people are like, you know what? I'd be curious to get a second opinion. I would love to get a free opinion, right? So, and people want to hear what they want to hear. So the, the words in the sentence really mattered, right? Free and save, right? I'm looking to serve my community. I want to save them money. I want to do a good job of building proper contracts that protect their retirement. So when they do get into this financial devastation, they're not spending their retirement. So it's a very uh, difficult kind of a conversation. But unless we, my industry, if you don't have the difficult conversations and ask difficult questions, you're doing disservice to your clients by not protecting their wealth, right? So those were the conversations that my formula was 150 calls a day, six days a week would get me 10 yeses. And I remember something I discovered and I'll share with you guys on this episode. It got difficult to look for 10 yeses a day, right? That was the math. My goal was to get 2000 names. And Every time I got a no kind of hurt because I was shooting for a yes. I don't remember when, but at one point during these cold calls, I decided to go for a no. As in, I noticed for about 10 yeses, I'm getting 10 hard rejections. As in, don't call me again. I'm going to report you or something negative. Right? It was like, oh, I didn't like how that felt. Not interested. Click. You know, I've, I've heard the F language and I've heard foul language and I've heard all kinds of things. So um, when I switched from going from a yes to a no the 10 yeses got easier to acquire. As in, I need 10 no's before I get to go home, right? Because I would do the internship, you know, I would, you know, it was a full day's worth of work. And then during lunch breaks and after I would call, sometimes it would take additional two hours, sometimes additional three hours. So the goal was to leave, right? Go to my safe place, go home. And the difficulty about getting a no, it was painful. But now I psychologically switched myself to looking for a no. So as long as I got a no, I have an additional checkbox to mark. I need 10 of those before I go home. And I would go anywhere between 10 to 12, give or take, would give me about 10 to 12 uh, yeses. So again, if you, if you shoot for fail, then failure becomes something you look forward to. You psychologically trick your mind to look for more of those things, which encourages effort. And when you encourage effort, as long as you do, you will get results. There was a, um, there was a research and a, like kind of a um, experiment done with children. It took a group of um, a few dozen kids, and they gave them simple problems for kids. They were like five to seven-year-olds. And, and after the kids did their solving of the problems, you know, in a simple way, they did a survey to see, you know, who did what and how they did it. And first half of the group, they complimented them on their talent. Great job. You're wonderful. You're talented. Beautiful. Whatever it was based on, talent. Second group, they complimented based on effort. Way to give you your all. I appreciate you trying your best. You know, you were just, you went all the way. You know, I'm really, really proud of the fact that you tried and you just, just, just kept going. Then they gave the same two groups, same problems. Again, different problems from the first set, but it was a different set of problems and looked at the results. The group that was complimented on their achievements as in like, great job. You're awesome. You're wonderful. Did a significant reduction in performance as far as how they were solving the problems. The group B that was complimented on effort had significant increase in performance. So where am I going with this example? When you promote activity and the night you actually are tracking negative activity and I'm going to do more negative activity, I'm just going to focus on activity. Psychologically, long-term, you will outlast the competition. You'll do better than the competition. You'll perform better than the competition. Most people tend to get to pain and they give up. This way I've learned psychologically for me and my sales team and even my service team that has quotas every month. Get you to a point of discomfort and how can I coach you on staying on that uncomfortable place?
It's the idea of being comfortable, being uncomfortable. And the more I've coached my team about getting to that point of their limit, of their discomfort, but be like, this is where I need to be. This is what I'm looking for. And as long as they were hanging on to that feeling longer, they were being more successful than others. And I have some of the highest producing churn salespeople in the country working out of our office. And it was less about sales coaching. It was more about, can you do a better job for the customer longer? Can It's okay for them to say no, but do a good job of educating, asking for the business, and doing a good job for the community. Because Walt Disney had a really famous saying, and I love this quote. I probably say this quote weekly in my office. Um, do something so well that people can't help but to tell others about you. Do something so well that people can't help but to tell others about you. That's why Disney doesn't market much. Their product sells itself. So what is it that you're doing that's different from the competition? How are you selling the product? How are you selling the value? And how are you asking for the sale? Those things really matter. And also what it does to a lot of entrepreneurs out there, they're looking to have their team members and their sales quotas and their service quotas. It becomes a better job satisfaction whenever they're having fewer conversation and more clients are happy with them. What does it do long-term as far as retaining talent, hiring talent, keeping talent in a long-term basis as far as growing a business? So that's that's my take on on the prep as far as psychological piece to prepping when you before you start a business. Have a list, have a list of people that are interested to do business with you to give you revenue and buy your product. So what kind of product do you have? Can you sell it properly? What's the value proposition? What's your value proposition? Why would they work for, for you and your team versus buying it from the competition? Have that down. If you don't have it, this is why you create a mission and vision statement for your business. So uh, this brings me to the next next part, right? So the way I got the business off the ground, um, you know, my goal was to get 2,000 names and I got 1,800 and these names turned into majority of our production the first year. Yeah, we purchased leads. We got referrals. I built relationships with professionals who sent us more customers. But in reality, in, in, in all business, nothing gets you more customers than your customers. As in, going back to Walt Disney saying, how good of a job are you doing? So even if you don't ask them to introduce you to their friends and family, they're still going out there, grabbing their hands and bringing them, put it in front of you and saying, you need to buy this product. You need to you know, get whatever this person's selling, right? So the experience piece is huge. We rarely remember what people do for us, but we do remember how we feel, right? We're very emotional feeling-based creatures. So the feeling piece is huge. Can you make somebody feel safe and good? Can they feel like they bought the quality product? Because a, a good understanding to from a you know in a consumer in a business to a consumer business uh, is that if if I do something poorly and I sell something cheap just to save them money, right? To make something cheap, it could turn into the, one of the most expensive financial decision a customer's done in our business, right? So we have to do a good job of talking high limits and value. So usually people I've noticed years later, like 13 years in business, they forget, right? But they remember how they feel. And when the conversation comes up with their peers, you could be selling an energy drink or a protein powder. If your stuff is good and that made that person feel good and they, they used it, they got some results, they probably will forget the ingredients. They're going to be like, dude, you got to use my stuff. Hey, you got to go see my financial planner. This, I don't remember exactly what he did, but the way he did it, wow. I remember when I was in front of him and, you know, and once in a while, I kind of check in and I kind of see what they're doing for me. I review and revisit. But again, can you build a product that people can help with the others about? So, and that's the key to marketing. A lot of people ask, where do you market? How do you market? What leads do you buy in reality? Just do a good job. You don't have to market at all. If you're still marketing years and years in the business, you need to ask yourself the question, how good of a job are you selling your product? Like how good of a job are you doing? Are you selling, are you just trying to be the cheapest person? That's why JCPenney's filed, filed bankruptcy here and Nordstrom is still peaking sales. And Nordstrom is not known to sell cheap products. They got very expensive, overpriced, but very high quality products. 
right? So be careful the business you um, build. It could be a, a curse or it could be a blessing. And uh, a good question I also get is, Hike, where do you find your talent? I would say questionably for the amount of team members that I have, there's agencies around the country that sell more than us, but for the amount of sales reps I have, I don't think, maybe I might've met one or two, but no, not quite. If I put my four or five top producers against any other four or five in the entire country, it'd be a close one to see who's got the highest producing team. Uh, even though they got some mega agencies with like 50 salespeople, uh, hard to compare ourselves to that. You know, we're not in certain territories. And yes, there I can always blame, you know, there's double the amount of money in certain territories and cheaper labor. But a lot of times, a lot of things we say is excuses. We can still do great with what we got and instead of con contemplating the grass being greener on the other side. No, the more I did that, the less we produced, the worse we did. The more I said, you know what? The best opportunities where my feet are, the grass is greener where you water it, the better the opportunity got for us. And now some of those people are calling us, asking us, how the heck are we doing what we're doing, right? So don't blame, don't blame. Take advantage of what you got and work with it. Trust me, there's a lot of opportunity everywhere. And it's up for grabs and most are not grabbing it. So here's my formula. Hike, how do you find good team? I can promise you this. There's no website, anamazingemployee.com. And then you just select pay a fee. There's no such thing. You can get the best recruiters on the planet. You can have, you know, indeed career plug job ads. You can have the fanciest way of finding candidates. In reality, there's one truth that I've discovered about finding a good team. Here's an important piece. You attract what you are, not what you want. You do not attract what you want. You attract what you are. You might get lucky and attract what you want. They will leave you as soon as they go somewhere where they're more comfortable. And here's what I mean by that. And then the question came to me during a meeting one time and I, I responded, I'm like, you attract what you are, not what you want. So if you're this negative, complaintful person who comes in late, doesn't take the job seriously, just boss people around, you ask your team to do stuff you've never done or you never do. And they kind of look at you as this boss figure and you know, you're, um, you put them down, you're rude, you overplay your boss card as in like, you got this power thing, you got into business for the wrong reasons, like as in I'm here to be proud. You're never going to build a good team. Like humility, compassion, kindness, leadership. And those pieces are huge. There's a lot of books you can read on the subject. Now they have, I read dozens of books on the subject, which taught me that the leader should sometimes get in front of the team. Like, guys, I don't know how to do this, but let's figure this out together. Right? So the first one to two years, my formula says, work to become what you're looking to replicate. First 24 months, you have to absolutely just grind it out. It takes three years, great. Become the person you're looking to replicate. Show up early, leave late, skip lunch breaks when you have to. My office hours were 12 to 12. I started taking gym breaks later when the fitness tank became important to me. But initially, I was glued to that desk. I became very good at talking to customers and very good at building good contracts for them and very good at giving the right advice and very good at getting referrals and you know doing whatever the sales process and the service process. Because the beginning, you're broke. You're kind of doing all the work yourself until enough becomes enough where you're like, okay, now I got the problem of I'm not you know, going to be saying, if I keep doing this, I'm going to cause burnout. So I'd rather just, you know, pay somebody to do some of the stuff. Yeah. And if you don't delegate, you're going to suffer. Right. So, but you need to become what you look in the train because how are you going to teach somebody the game if you haven't played it? So idea of replicating yourself becomes is who you are, right? So your absolute relentless goal, the first couple of years is to become something you're looking to replicate. Because if you do get somebody who is positive, who is, I call the PDCC factor, positive, driven, coachable, and competitive, those four are very important in business. You have to be positive because there's a lot of negativity and negative problems we're solving. You have to be driven in anything you do in life. If you're not driven, good luck. You have to be coachable. Things change. 
new knowledge comes up, new product comes up, you know, Amazon changes the industry of expectations from consumer, like, how do you keep up with that, right? So you have to be coachable to be able to talk differently and adapt differently, and talk about the marketplace and talk about the recessions and talk about the market changes, right? So, um, you know, technology changes all the time, new feature comes up, how you text customers and uh, people better, better and different emailing systems change and CRMs uh, change. And, uh, and you have to be very, very competitive. Like why is somebody with two arms and two legs and, and one brain do better than you? Right? What's their mindset like? What book are they reading? Like what time are they waking up? Right? So you have to be very, very competitive in the environment. So positive, driven, coachable, competitive. So if that person comes in your life and you are negative, you watch the news, you come in late, all you do is complain about the problems and what you saw in the news and why the president's the reason why you have your issues. What do you think that person who doesn't make excuses, who wakes up sooner than you, who's more positive than you, doesn't watch the news, who just grinds it out is going to do eventually. They're going to leave you and they're going to find an environment that's very positive, driven, coachable, and competitive. And they're going to be, and they're going to stay comfortable around what they are. Now, if you are that person who is positive, driven, coachable, competitive, and you do make a wrong hiring decision, which everybody does in business. I don't know, single person doesn't matter what kind of business who didn't hire the wrong person. By the way, 13 years in, I'm still hiring wrong people all the time. It's okay. It's part of the game. If you're waiting for a perfect candidate, you'll never find somebody you can teach them up to being the unicorn. You don't find unicorns, you develop them. And if you do have that in you, because you became that the first couple of years, you became fit, you became positive, you read all the books, you're going to find somebody who's negative, right? All they do is make excuses. Leads are bad. Customers are horrible. All I'm doing is getting fights with the consumers. I don't want to pick up the call. They take overly long lunch breaks. They show up late or they just show up enough on time not to get fired. Right? It's called quiet quitting as in, I'm just going to do the bare bones minimum not to get fired. In reality, if you're not okay with that mediocre performance, you're going to let these producers and performance and service reps go because mediocre is not enough in business environment. You are doing something very noble. You're serving community. You do not need mediocre people serving the community, right? This is why you start a business to serve the community, create great jobs in the community. That's it. And you will find ways to get rid of them. So eventually when you have this elite team of people kicking butt. You've got the Michael Jordan, you've got the Dennis Rodman, you've got the Scottie Pippen on your team, you got this amazing, you know, 5, 10, 20, whatever the amount of team you have. People will ask you, well, how do you build this team? And again, it goes back to what did you do to become certain somebody that creates the culture in the environment where those kind of winners are comfortable to be around? And they're like, man, this person's going to bring out the best of me. I should stick out, stick around. So first two years become what you're looking to replicate. If you don't get really quick about coaching right off the bat, by years three to five, you really need to have a team doing a lot of it for you. You're not going to have the capacity to pick up calls anymore. You're not going to have the capacity to do the stuff that you need to delegate, right? There's this, this, this thing by year five, you're looking to completely replace yourself. And there's the little alphabet thing I'll share with you guys called A, B, C, D, E, right? A is the thing that you have to get done. Like there's something that you have to do. Your team cannot do it. You cannot delegate, right? So it's A, you have to do it. B is, is good to do it. I mean, A has to be get done before you get to, you know, good to do, but you got to do the B too, right? It's, it's not as important as A, but it's, it's, it's up there, right? Then there's C, it's nice to be able to do certain things. It's nice to be able to do these things. D's you got to delegate, E, eliminate, right? So think about the activities, right? One of the best things I've done is I took an advice, I don't know from who, there's a lot of good advice out there on podcasts and books, right? It said, write down like the 10 to 20 activities that take up your business and just write down what's an A, what's a B, what's a C, what's a D, what's an E. Run it with your team and figure out what needs to be delegated, what needs to be eliminated, and what are some things that has to be done by you 
because as a leader in a business, you will only have the capacity to do the A's and the B's and sometimes the C's. What needs to be delegated, eliminated should not be your job. Certain things you can delegate a minimum wage, certain things you got to delegate at six figures. But trust me, if you don't early on, you will peak by year five and you not, will not grow. And year five is like the 10,000 hour, right? That's where most entrepreneurs I talk to always say, I feel overpaid and underworked. Because up until year five, you feel overworked, underpaid. I promise you that. So that's the definition of grit. Like, can you do something long-term with passion to get to that point? But if you don't properly develop yourself to develop others and replace yourself by year five, you can have a tough business to grow. And that's a piece I did. And a couple of other things I'll share um, as part of this episode on finance, right? Strictly business we're talking. There has to be a structure within the business has to be structured. And one of the things that, you know, COVID actually helped us develop as well too. It got us much better to have a structured team. So, cause we were working virtual, we needed something to feel like we belong, right? So we were doing a lot of it, but it wasn't consistent. Once I got really consistent, numbers doubled and tripled. And we went from being a good office to now we're setting records around the country. Um, we have a daily morning huddle at 8.50 a.m. And here's why I think every business should do something like that. It used to be at... 8.55 and we last, you know, team expanded. We got more people on there. There's usually some small talk and now it takes 10 minutes every morning, right? So every morning uh, we have two reps assigned to share a positive note. It could be a Bible verse. It could be motivational quote. It could be anything. Two reps, something positive. Why is it significant to you? Second rep, positive, something significant to you. And then um, we used to have time for everybody to go around and make a commitment for the day. Now I'm like, we don't have time for that. So we just do those two things move on. And we have a um, social media group chat. And I'm like, guys, sending your daily commitments here. What's a good day look like for you? What do you want to commit to? And usually numbers-based or goal-based based on service. Service team says one thing, our sales team says another. And it just, it's a contributing factor. But now, I don't, you know, it's my turn to share something positive. So I have to learn something. So at least once a week, you're responsible to share something positive. If you're the negative person, you'll find a way out because that's not your environment. And if you can build a good culture in an office, in the business, in a whatever kind of atmosphere or business you have. Uh, just that positive culture will overcompensate for a lot of negative issues. Most people don't make it in business. So positivity is a big one, right? So that's a 10-minute daily positivity thing we have. Um, a mandatory one-hour meeting every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. That's very important for me to be able to share some numbers and some reports, give additional coaching to my team because it's rare that we get all together because we get busy with phone calls and everything else. And I think a, day, a weekly meeting is very important to continuously run the business. That's why when you do delegate and eliminate a lot of things, you need to find time, like the owner's job security, the manager's job security, eventually you're going to delegate that as well. But what are you doing? That's the leadership that you cannot delegate, right? You run that meeting, right? You give people feedback on their 10 minute chairs every morning, right? That meeting is important for the you know manager, the supervisor, the owner to be involved, depending on what level of business you're running. Team likes to be directed and coached directly by whoever their supervisor, there's goals, right? So we have activity goals every, every, every Wednesday. And we talk about what activity will you commit to? And I share that even children, when you praise them for activity, they tend to do better. Uh, we actually track and I praise my team. I can spend another hour talking about how the team meeting goes, but we commit to an activity. We track it on the board. We have a scoreboard. Oh, I feel like Seahawks won, but they lost 22 to 19. Well, I feel like they won. The scoreboard said they lost. So scoreboard is important to have in a workplace. Um, 
So we have a scoreboard, right? You committed to 20 of whatever activity. You committed to 50 of whatever activity. Week later, we talk about it. Hey, what went wrong? What didn't go so well? What could have gone better? I got busy with this. And we, we talk about it. Okay, what's the best practice? And another team member who had a great week talks about their great week. And the other one talks complains about their bad week. And now they kind of balance each other out. They hear each other out. There's a little bit of venting in there. And, you know, we go back to work. So I think that structured is uh, team meeting is very important. Also, last thing as a leader, I think. This is something I stole from a um, a friend of mine, Levon, who is a sp kind of spiritual leader for me. I admire him very much. And I'm a deacon in my church. I get to serve on the altar. It's an Armenian church, very traditional, old school way of doing things. You know, we always go in the back. We change, put our ropes on, and then we serve. And I've always had small talks with Levon. And Levon's a very successful individual at a tech company. He runs a very successful team. And, you know, I kind of pick his brain. And whenever I hear somebody's in leadership, I'm always asking questions. I'm just... Always, always admire people on high level like that. And one time I asked him, I'm like, do you have some kind of a review one-on-one -on -one process? He's like, I do. He goes, let's finish service. Let's talk about it afterwards. And I remember church service ended on Sunday. We walked outside in the parking lot towards his car. We got to his car and he was just asking me questions. And he's like, this is my one-on-one -on -one process. You know, I've got my, whatever the executives are under him. I take him out for walks on campus. A, it's good fitness. You walk, fresh air in your lungs. You have good conversations. I'm like, do you have like reports in your hand? Do you have structure? Do you have, I don't know, some kind of a feedback document? He's like, no, I don't have any documents, nothing. We strictly talk about what they want to talk about. And that kind of brought me back to an acronym we use in our business called the form, a form of a good conversation, right? And the form is an acronym that stands for family, occupation, recreation, and money, right? I think we should all, whenever we're talking to our spouse, and let's just talk about it. How's family? What's going on? How's work? What's going on? Like hobbies. Oh, you got a marathon coming up? Or oh, you have a Spartan race coming up? Or oh, you, you're in CrossFit? Oh, how's that going? Money. And then, you know, you want to, in our business, we want to talk about money so we can protect it. But in reality, my team sometimes complains about their money, right? So what can I do to help them more make more? Is it, is it different sales goals? Is it different sales techniques? So um, that walk, get a cup of coffee and walk. Monthly, right? Some months gets crazy, vacation here and there. Uh, we, we, we have done, I can count on one hand how many times we've skipped, but I try to make sure that's a piece that I own, right? I can't delegate that. I'm, I'm actually delegating a good amount of those right now, but uh, for my core team, I try to do that as religiously as possible. And you hear the issues and you can actually fix an issue before it becomes into a big problem. Small issue, manageable, as long as you know before it happens. Large problem, sometimes you have to fire. And unfortunately, you know, firing at the wrong time can be very, very expensive in business. And for those of you who are in small business, you know what it's like to actually fire somebody that you could have coached up and kept a year later. You're like, man, I could have made it, you know, done a better job. But communicating with your core people is a very important piece of business. Um, and then last but not least, I'll share a study group. We have uh, study sessions every Thursday at nine o'clock and I have guest speakers on that. I share my stuff and we talk about best practices and I have guest employees of other businesses just sharing their best practice, how they handle rejection, how, you know, how they handle success and how do they replicate success? How are they getting so many referrals? How, how why is their book of business so large? Why do they have so much sales? And, you know, it, and typically it's about somebody's success. And, and often I try to pick speakers that are going to complement my team. If something we're lacking, I'll have an agent who's really good at that or a business owner is good at that, share with us. Uh, and uh, lastly, I'll share is uh, Dreamboards, right? Dreamboards has been a big part of our team end of each year. 
I have a guest speaker, usually somebody outside the industry, and I have general, you know, questions about success and, and life and fitness, and they come and they, you know, they share, we have a good listening session. We all present our dream boards as far as what we'd like to accomplish within a year, three or five. And then we have pictures and images, lots of tears sometimes get shared on those things, uh, goals, and we go out for dinner. And that's kind of like the structure piece as far as leadership when you start delegating stuff. So that's why that's a piece I want to just give you guys. Um, you know, not too much in detail, but in detailed enough to get a fair understanding what I've been consulting on, right? So if you hear this episode, you can contact me directly. I do, you know, I do offer coaching. We can talk more about that as well. Uh, but other than that, if you guys keep following, uh, a lot of the content is free. Uh, if there's any direct questions you have, contact me via social media or through the page. My uh, my intern guy does a good job of communicating with me and sending me those messages. Uh, hopefully this was useful and you guys got something out of it towards your business or your startup or your corporate job maybe. And uh, if this brought you value to you, then I feel good about the fact that I spent the time recording this and sharing some of my lessons with you. To your success. Cheers. <laughs>